from Jordan-Hare Stadium to Auburn Arena. From the Plains to the recruiting trail and all points in between. If it's Auburn, we've got it covered. Did I say War Eagle? Or War Eagle. That's it? War Eagle. This is the Auburn Undercover Podcast with Brandon Marcello. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the Auburn Undercover Podcast. I am Keith Niebuhr. Now, normally, Brandon Marcello is the host, but tonight, the roles are reversed. I'm going to host the show, and Brandon is the one who's going to be taking the questions, and the reason is, is because he just spent uh, the better part of the past week in Nashville, Tennessee, for the SEC basketball tournament, where Auburn has emerged as the tournament champions after a dominant 84-64 win over number eight Tennessee. So Brandon and I are going to talk about the big win over the Volunteers. We're going to talk about the incredible week that was for Auburn basketball. And then we're going to dig deep into Auburn's first round and potentially uh, second round and beyond matchups in the upcoming NCAA tournament, which begins Thursday in Salt Lake City for the Tigers. But Brandon, we get the ball rolling by going over this unbelievable game. Uh, a big win against Tennessee, second win over the Volunteers just in the last you know uh, week or so. And uh, this one really was never in doubt the last 15 or so minutes of the game, which is pretty stunning when you talk about Tennessee having only five losses on the season and only two of them, I believe, by more than double digits, 84 to 64. Just your initial thoughts on the game, and then we'll uh, kind of pull back some of the layers. Yeah, I, I thought it was the, the best game I've seen Auburn play ever under Bruce Pearl and for that matter I'm sure for the folks who have been around Auburn much longer than me one of the best games they've probably seen at least this century uh it was incredible especially that first half when you know they had a nine point halftime lead and you're like "Eh, man they should be feeling pretty good and of course they built a 23 point lead in the second half but what was so amazing about that first half was their defense and their defense with Jared Harper, the point guard, on the bench. Jared Harper picked up two fouls in the first two minutes. And Javon McCormick had to come in. This is a guy who was, you know, playing in the playoffs in Division Three school a year ago. And now he's an SEC backup point guard. He comes in, facilitates the offense, plays great defense. Auburn steals the ball ten times in the first half. An incredible number. Ten steals. And that's what really kind of it just got in Tennessee's head. I don't think Tennessee could run anything they really wanted to run. Auburn was closing the gaps, um, getting their hands in the lanes, deflecting passes. It was a really phenomenal defensive effort that led to some big shots down the stretch, and especially in the second half. All it took was for back-to-back three-pointers by Chuma Okiki to really spark things in the second half because after that, I mean, Keith, this is the first time I can remember. I'm, I'm watching a game, and it's against a top-eight opponent, and Auburn's, you know, bouncing the basketball up the floor in the final 10 minutes, like smiling and laughing like it's a pickup basketball game, you know, in June or something. They were just having fun. They were having their way with Tennessee, and I, it was a remarkable uh, performance defensively and offensively by this team. One that I've never seen from Bruce Pearl's teams, and he's had some pretty good efforts over the years. 
incredible when you think about it. Uh, Auburn beat Tennessee just a week earlier, and that kept Tennessee from sharing the conference title. They beat them Sunday, which keeps Tennessee from winning the SEC tournament and probably keeps them from being a number one seed. I mean, uh, a number one seed in the NCAA tournament. I mean, Bruce Pearl really seems to have Tennessee's number right now, Brandon, but that was Thompson Bowling Arena West, and I think I saw you say that in a tweet. You know, tons of Tennessee fans there. Tennessee hadn't won an SEC title since 1979. Auburn obviously hadn't won an SEC tournament title, I should say, tournament title since 79. For Auburn, it was since 1985. But the Vols fans came out in forces. And, Brandon, looking back to that win over Tennessee a week ago, there was always that, yeah, but at the end. Yeah, yeah they beat them, but it was at home. Well, this wasn't at home. And this wasn't really a neutral site either. This was a flat-out butt-kicking on what, is effect- what was effectively the home court of the Tennessee Volunteers. And not only that, man, it was amazing. I mean, Tennessee fans were just going you know, nuts in the first, like, eight minutes of the game. And then from then on, they were quiet. Um, they didn't get loud again, really, until there was – they made a little run and cut it to 15, which at the time seemed like a big deal because Auburn had just gotten up by 22 or 23 – and Tennessee was on a bit of a run. They got loud again, and then Auburn responded immediately with a three-pointer. Um, and, I mean, Tennessee fans were sitting on their hands the entire entire game practically. And, you know, I came into that game thinking, you know, this place is probably going to be like 85% uh, Tennessee fans. It was more like 95%. Uh, it was unreal. It was like being in Thompson Bowling Arena. It really, it really was. There's 20,000 Tennessee fans there. But as that game went along, it got so quiet. And as you said, you know, Auburn beat, beat this Tennessee team eight game, or eight days before this game. And it was at Auburn Arena, and it was close back and forth. Auburn was down double digits in the first half and battled its way back. And you kind of sat there thinking, man, that Tennessee team is so big and so physical. If they had to play this team again on a neutral site or even at home uh, for Tennessee, Auburn, there's no way Auburn wins that game. But – I think Auburn learned something from that Tennessee game. And this is what I think they learned. I think they believe all, all their players on their bench, all the, all their starters. I think they all believe that they're better than every player on that Tennessee team. And that confidence did them a world of wonders because here's the thing. The day before this game, Bruce Pearl was talking about how, you know, we can't do what we did against South Carolina or Mizzou or even Florida. And that's by beating Tennessee off the dribble and driving past them. Well, guess what? Auburn was faster than Tennessee, and they did exactly that when they needed to. And then they hit some three-pointers, and then they went inside to Chumo Kiki. They went inside to Austin Wiley, and they got some big second-chance rebounds to get some second-chance points as well to go along with their points off turnovers. It was really just like the perfect game for Auburn this season. I think they learned a lot about themselves in that game against Tennessee, and they used that in this game plan to really – just take advantage of the weaknesses that they saw and build up their own confidence. And that's a credit to Bruce Pearl and also to a veteran backcourt and helping lead this team in a second game in eight days against a, a common opponent. They knew what to do and man, they perfect. They just, they executed perfectly. You know, going into this game, you know, you had to be concerned if you were an Auburn fan coach, even player that, you know, four games in four days, but it looked like Auburn was in better physical shape of the two. And what we learned, I think, Brandon, is that four games in four days, no matter how grueling, 
Tennessee had three games in three days, but boy, they had that mentally exhausted yes. game the day before. It wasn't a physical thing for them. It looked like they were mentally exhausted, which then carried down to the legs. Uh, it, it's just incredible when you think about that. Auburn looked like the more physically fit team and the fresher team, even though it had played one more game during the week than Tennessee. You don't see that very often. Brandon, I thought one of the things that was intriguing here, fascinating, early second half, Tennessee has cut it from nine to seven on a Lamont Turner layup. Yeah. And you're thinking, at that point, you're thinking, okay, here you go. Here comes the run. But over the next couple of minutes, we saw Auburn answer with a three-pointer from Chuma Akiki off of an offensive rebound that put Auburn back up by 10. Lamont Turner went right back down the court. He makes a three-pointer, cuts it to seven. Auburn goes down the court. Chuma hits another three. It's back to 10. Tennessee misses. Malik Dunbar makes a three, and just like that, it goes from seven to 13, and Tennessee was playing well. Auburn had an answer for everything. There was never a point in that game in the second half where you felt like Auburn was really in any jeopardy whatsoever, and uh, just incredible. Now, final stats from the game, uh, another thing that really remarkable when you think about it. Auburn only shot it, it felt like they were making everything Brandon yeah, they yeah. shot 40% from the floor 25 of 64 it felt like they made every other three-pointer well they didn't they made 15 but out of 40 attempts that's only 37% but where they really won and, and let me point out too uh, they out-rebounded Tennessee now who would have thought that was possible exactly yes who would have thought 39 rebounds to Auburn for 33 for Tennessee Auburn seven turnovers, Tennessee seventeen turnovers. So even though Jared Harper only had nine, you got eighteen from Chuma Kiki. You got nineteen from Bryce Brown, ten from Daniel Purifoy, Horace Spencer six points, but with some big buckets. Uh, McCormick five points, Daughtry six points, uh, Malik Dunbar eight points. Hey, gosh, you know Mclemore didn't even score in the game. So Harper and Mclemore combined for nine points and three rebounds. And uh, and Auburn wins by 20 points. Just a, a, a game, really, that just blew you away. Uh, Turner had 24 for Tennessee, but Grant Williams, the SEC player of the year, only 13. Tennessee actually shot 45%. They shot better than Auburn, but the turnovers and getting beat on the boards, and Auburn had 13 offensive rebounds. I mean, this was just a really phenomenal performance, Brandon, every way yeah. And Chumo Kiki was not afraid of Grant Williams. Uh, I, I wouldn't say he was afraid of him in their first meeting you know, eight days ago, but it was like he learned something. He learned that he was better than him. He was defending the heck out of him and Admiral Schofield. He was switching all over the place defensively, and he did a phenomenal job today. I, I don't have the stats in front of me, but I think he even – I think he also – not only did he have a double-double today, I believe, Okiki did, but he, I think he had three steals as well. Yeah, 18 uh, points. I don't want to inter- – let me interrupt yeah, you. 18 points, 13 rebounds. Six of them were offensive rebounds, by the way. Uh, Three steals, a block. He did have two turnovers, but again, Auburn had seven as a team, which, I mean, gosh, I mean, anything under 10 is considered excellent at this level. Well, that's the thing. Auburn has played really controlled basketball, even though they're pushing the tempo all the time. They had a season low in turnovers in the previous game against Florida, which was four turnovers. And then they do this against Tennessee. They just haven't been turning the ball over here during this eight-game winning streak. It's affording them more opportunities. And also, they're able to beat teams even though they're getting out-rebounded because they're turning over teams so much, winning the turnover battle, getting fast break points. And then now there's an added dynamic, Keith, and that's 
Austin Wiley's back. He's he played nine minutes today, and whenever he's in the game, he changes everything. Defenses sink in on him. He catches the ball. He'll go up, get a bucket, yes, but he also kick it back out. And then all of a sudden, Auburn's got two guys open uh, on the perimeter, and then they can chunk up a three pointer if they want or drive it. It's amazing. And here's the other thing: it just shows about how much confidence this team has. You were talking about those back-to-back Chumo Kiki three-pointers. And during that run after that, I believe, uh, Jared Harper, there's a turnover uh, by Tennessee. They feed the ball to Jared Harper, who is running in front of the entire Tennessee defense, right? Could have had a layup. What does he do? He runs across the baseline under the basket instead of going up for a layup so he can throw it to Bryce Brown for a three-pointer. I mean, he had an easy layup for sure points, but he has so much confidence in Bryce Brown to hit a three-pointer in transition that he passes it to him. They did that in the Florida game earlier that week, too. They had a four-on-one opportunity. Instead of going to the basket, they chip it out for a three-pointer and hit it. Um, This team is just – they just got a great feel of where they are on the court in these situations. And it's like, you know, I hear all these commentators and analysts going, well, you live by the three, you die by the three. No team can win games shooting as many threes as Auburn does. But when Auburn feels it and they know what they're doing with their spots on the floor and they seem to always work as far as when they're in transition, instead of going for a layup, they go for the three-pointer and it usually works out. How do you discount that? And as I've said, with Jared Harper and Bryce Brown, now Chumo Kiki hitting three-pointers the way he is, this is uh, you know the SEC's own version of the Splash Brothers. You know, with the, the Golden State, they, they just seemingly hit. They don't they might not hit 45 percent of their three pointers in a game, which would be just ridiculous anyway. But in big moments when they need them, they hit them. They always do. And they did that throughout the SEC term. Yeah, Jared Harper, final stats for the game, nine point six assists, but only one of 11 from the field. But that that's now what is a bad game. For Jared Harper, nine points and six assists and only turned the ball over twice. And and also, Brandon, I think the play that maybe was symbolic of this tournament run by Auburn wasn't a made basket, might not have been a defensive steal. It might have been the play with about two minutes left in the game where Jared Harper dove on the ball, dove on the floor, ran, ran the length of the court, dove for the ball, was unsuccessful in getting it. But that was with the 20 point lead. And that really was something that Dick Vitale, who was on the mic for ESPN during the game, harped on uh, for uh, several minutes, quite frankly. That, that you know, That's when you know a team wants it. That's when you know a team is feeling it. Uh, they're not leaving anything to chance, and they're not leaving anything on the court, and that was symbolic of that. Uh, Bryce Brown was the MVP of the tournament, I believe, uh, if, my, if my memory's correct. Yes. Was, yes. We're both a little tired. But Jared Harper, without his performances in the quarters in the semis, 27 no. against yeah. South Carolina, 20 against Florida. He hit the big three with 12.2 seconds left that essentially buried the Gators uh, 27 the night before or the the afternoon before against South Carolina. So 47 points in those two games. Uh, You know, we asked this question on the message board. Is he approaching legendary status as an Auburn athlete? And, you know, obviously today he didn't have his best game, but uh, they won the SEC tournament a year after winning the SEC championship. Is his story still to be written, as Philip likes to say, or, or is this guy, in your mind, already an Auburn legend, uh, Brandon, after this performance this week? I don't know who said it on the board, but I agree that he's an Auburn great right now. 
he could be an Auburn legend if he takes Auburn to like the Elite Eight or something and does so by carrying the team on his back again and again and again. And he's been doing that all season. I mean, he's been doing that throughout this eight-game winning streak. And you mentioned he only hit one shot today. And you know what that one shot was? A three-pointer. And like with about a minute left, to just kind of cap it, just to throw a dagger in it in into uh, you know Tennessee's chest the day after he hit a three-point dagger against Florida with 10.6 seconds remaining. He just hits the clutch shots when he needs to. He has a great feel for the game. He gives the ball to the guys he needs. Uh, he he is a great point guard. I think he's the best point guard in the league in the SEC. He's been severely underrated his entire career. And should he return to Auburn next year, which I, I project he will, um, man, he could do something really special during his senior year and start setting those type of records and then also winning games to go along with it that people go, wow, that's that's a guy you will consider five, ten years from now as, a, as an Auburn legend. He's still got some, got some games in him. Let's see what he can do. We already see what he's done. He's an Auburn great now. But I, I think he's definitely got the capability of being a legend, and he doesn't feel like he's done either. And this guy has had a chip on his shoulder since uh, I mean, since since he was a kid. And you talked about how he was diving on the floor for a loose ball there late in the game with a twenty point lead. Auburn's mentality in this whole game was it was never over. One player told me after the game, "Go, when did you feel like this game was over? Was it when you went up twenty two, or when you guys brought it back up to twenty after they cut it to 15? <laughs> and the player told me, with about four seconds left, that they they just did not want to let up on Tennessee, and uh, it showed. All right, Brandon, let's look at this eight game winning streak. Now they haven't lost in March. They're twenty six and nine, and, and just a few more things, and then we'll we'll transition over to the NCAA tournament. But the eight game winning streak. There was the three point win over Georgia on the road. Incredibly tough game against a team that won two games in the league. Okay. Uh, needed yeah. a three-pointer late from Chuma Akiki, and, and quite frankly, there were points in that game where I thought they're going to lose, and that's the season. Next up, a big win at home over Mississippi State, had a big lead and held on late. Then the rally to win at Alabama, seminal win on the season. Followed that up with a four-point comeback win uh, over Tennessee at home, and then obviously the SEC tournament. Ten-point win over Missouri, nine over South Carolina, three over Florida, and they saved the best for last. A remarkable 20-point win over Tennessee. I believe Tennessee's worst win of the season before that was 17 at Kentucky, which they later avenged and then avenged again. So this, this is a, a team that is going to be a very tough out in the NCAA tournament, I speak, speaking of Tennessee. But going back to that Georgia game, Brandon, was there anything at that point in time? I mean, Austin Wiley wasn't playing. The team was sort of in a funk. Uh, they were coming off a 27-point loss to Kentucky. I mean, was there any? <laughs> Who could have foreseen this? I don't think anybody did. And I do think that the team used that Kentucky loss as a rallying point. I, they, they, they don't mention it, but they saw that they needed to come back. And one, I mean, Bruce Pearl is very upfront with their, his guys and telling them, one, about history, but two, about rankings and what they have to do to accomplish the goals they want, such as, you know, getting a certain seed in the SEC tournament, getting a certain seed in the NCAA tournament, or even getting into the NCAA tournament. And after that loss to Kentucky, that Georgia game on the road was a must win. They lose that game. The, the season might spiral, and then and then they're not even going to the NCAA tournament. They're going to the NIT or staying at home, maybe at worst. 
But they all came together, and they got better from the game to game. I mean, you mentioned that Georgia game. I mean, it was sloppy, and you're just thinking, man, Georgia's going to win this, and this is this is going to be the end of the season. Well, Auburn found a way to win thanks to Chumo Kiki, and that, that guy – is he's the one player on this team I could say easily he is a pro and there's no doubt in my mind he is but I think that what happened from there is they won all these close games and it just kept building their confidence up that no matter what was going to happen they were going to win a game they were going to win the game somehow some way and then it just all came together uh, against Tennessee and I think that's that's Going in the NCAA tournament, everybody's going to talk about, you know, we'll talk about it here in their draw and how they have to play so back, you know, turn around so quickly and play on a Thursday and they have to play against a team that New Mexico State that hasn't, you know, lost a game since January 3rd, I think. But for Auburn, they've played close games and they've won them all during this eight game winning streak. The only game that wasn't really close was the Tennessee game. Even that 10 point win, you know, Mizzou and then a nine point win or whatever against South Carolina. Those games were close until the final minutes. So Auburn has found a way in these close games, and that's every game in the tournament is close. And what does it come down to? How do you win those games? It's experience and it's your backcourt. And I think Auburn's got one of the best backcourts in the country. And I, I think that no matter who they play, if, unless it's Duke, uh, I, Duke's amazing, and maybe North Carolina. I think Auburn's got a chance against anybody to beat them uh, at their own game. Brandon, you know, one of the things we haven't talked about is that a year ago the team had to deal with uh, Purifoy and Wiley and Chuck Person, and, and that was just you know so difficult. And they overcame that situation to win the regular season conference title. But this year, right before the SEC tournament, you have the news come out that Ira Bowman has been involved in, in some stuff uh, at his previous stop at Penn. Uh, and, and so they've had to deal with some negative stories out there, too. A- any effects of that at all? Or or were they just able to put that, uh, not even really think about that, not even focus on that? I've never, I've never heard any player talking about the Ira Bowman situation after it came out uh, on Monday. Um, he was, uh, his name came up in a federal bribery trial that had nothing to do actually with what was going on, uh, with Ira Bowman, but, uh, the former head coach at Penn where, uh, Ira Bowman came from that Ivy league school mentioned his name as being involved allegedly in this bribery scheme where they were this, uh, this guy was trying to get his, uh, son in the school at Penn by getting him on the basketball team. And, uh, the guy was paying the Penn head coach and, Ira Bowman allegedly had access to the bank account and had a debit card for it. And well, that all came to light you know, Monday. Yeah. And I know I don't want to harp on that. I just, you know, you know, that's just another thing that these guys have had to yeah. do another hurdle off the court. And I think maybe, you know, since maybe them just not talking about it, they had, they use it in their own way for motivation. Like, you know, here we go again, we got to do something without, you know, the help of someone. I mean, these guys have always seen themselves as underdogs. I mean, Bryce Brown and Jared, you know, Harper have always talked about how, you know, I was a three-star guy or this, and Georgia didn't want me, and Florida didn't want me, and these guys didn't want me, and, I, and I'm better than everybody else on this court. I don't see what they I don't see what they don't see in me. And then when these things happen off the court, it seems to me that they find a way to play their best. As you mentioned, that Chuck Person stuff. D'Angelo Purifoy's not playing. Austin Wiley's not playing last season. And they win a freaking SEC title 
and were really running away with it until Anthony Macklemore got hurt, and they kind of limped down the stretch, and obviously that affected them, and they ended up losing the second round of the NCAA tournament. And then this year, you know, they're getting healthier as they get go along, and then this popped up off the court, and they continue to win games. Um, I, I think that it's just it doesn't bother them. I, don't, I, I just think it's just background noise that they completely push behind them. I didn't hear one player talking about it, you know, whether it was, you know, on the record, off the record, or anything like that. Um, it just never really came up, and I think this team's just – I think they just kind of block everything out, and they only care about each other. I mean, you watch these guys in the locker room and how they – I mean, every, every team's close, but it's incredible. They act like, like actual brothers, like they've grown up together, you know what I mean? They, they poke fun at each other. And they got all these inside jokes and you're sitting and you're standing there and you're, you're just they're acting like kids. And it's it's great to be around. It's almost contagious. It makes you it, it makes you happier just being around them in that locker room after games. They 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 just love each other. Incredible laser focus. Brandon, you've been around Bruce Pearl so much since you've covered Auburn and since Bruce has been at Auburn. How gratifying do you think this this tournament championship is for him personally? Oh, I think it's incredibly gratifying. And I asked him today, you know, listen, I know you're going to downplay it. I even said it. I know you're going to downplay it. But you just beat the school. And it's not the same people. But you were fired from Tennessee. You rebuilt that program. You made it an Elite 18 not that long ago when you were there. And then you were fired. How does this feel to kind of in front of the Tennessee fans that used to cheer for you? You knocked them off, Tennessee, to win an SEC title in their in your home state. You they kicked you out of this state eight years ago, and now you're leaving it with an SEC title. And he said, you know, I didn't agree with the previous administration and all that, but I still have friends and all that. But and he said it doesn't. I don't get more pleasure out of this because it's Tennessee. But I think in the back of his mind, he's thinking. This feels great that everything that I do is at least, you know, I'm doing it the way I want and the way I coach and it works and, it, and I win with it. I mean, when he was in that, I had that show cause penalty after he got fired at Tennessee, he, he made it known to people that he wanted to coach in the SEC someday again, somehow, some way. And when Auburn came calling, it didn't take much to convince him to come to Auburn. And, and it was because he wanted to prove everybody that he could win again in the SEC and so in the process over this last decade, he has turned Tennessee around and he's turned Auburn around, which by far I think is the most difficult job between the two to do that because Tennessee has the facilities. They have a little bit more history, obviously. And Pearl's done it at Auburn. I, I think it's just absolutely incredible. And I think deep down he is absolutely loving it that it came against Tennessee because his family – I mean, they grew, his kids grew up in Knoxville. His son, Stephen Pearl, who's an assistant coach, graduated and played basketball at Knoxville there at Tennessee. And I know Stephen enjoyed it. I know his family enjoyed it. And I know he still got you know friends there, and they were hugging him after the game. And I think the thing that showed to me more than anything the importance he still holds in the hearts of some Tennessee fans was seeing some of those Tennessee fans staying after the game to watch him get the trophy and cut down the nets. I think that was a great showing of respect, even though they just got, you know, blown out and Auburn's been the team that's been in their, their side. I mean, listen, you mentioned it. 
Tennessee's only lost a handful of games. Two of them have been against Auburn. Last year, they lost against Auburn, and they had to share the title with Auburn at the time. There's something about Bruce Pearl and this Tennessee team, this program, and he's got their number right now, and I think that's very gratifying to him, even if he won't say it. And, Brandon, I think you've got to give the Tennessee fans credit. It's such a fascinating relationship they have. Oh, they love him. They love Bruce Pearl. It's kind of – I haven't seen much like this since – Steve Spurrier was at South Carolina and people down in the Sunshine State still pulled for him because uh, he was one of their own. And they still see Bruce as being kind of a Tennessee guy. And they pulled for him not to beat the Vols, obviously. But uh, you don't see uh, you don't see that admiration for Bruce Pearl in Tuscaloosa, in Knoxville, in Gainesville. But in, excuse me, uh, uh, I'm getting my cities at Lexington. Lexington, Tuscaloosa, yeah. Gainesville, they, they're not, there's no admiration for Bruce Pearl. But in Knoxville, they, they still love him, and it, it, it is incredible to see. Now, the one thing missing from this guy's brilliant resume, I mean, he's won at, what, M- Milwaukee, Wisconsin. He's won big at Tennessee. He had to go on TV for a few years, and now he's rebuilt Auburn. I don't even know if rebuilt's the right word. I mean, it, it, they, this is a level to which uh, – Auburn fans have maybe seen once or twice before, if that. I mean, Sonny Smith got him to the Elite Eight, but uh, th- those teams may not have been as, as uh, I don't know, it's, it's tricky. It'd be interesting to see who would win if they played. You know, you had Barkley, Person, Frank Ford, guys like that. But oh, these, Charles Barkley told me last season that yeah. he said that we beat the hell out of them. Well, there you go. <laughs> there you go. But this is, this is something, in, in terms of national prominence now, you're, you're approaching the level of those teams. And, and really, those teams got hot late. Uh, just like this team's gotten hot late. But the one thing I guess missing from Bruce Pearl's resume is that Final Four, Brandon, uh, an otherwise just, again, incredible resume. Now, they're going to enter the NCAA tournament. They're going to play New Mexico State on Thursday, I think 1220 Central Time. Uh, at uh, 26-9, and nine, New Mexico State got an outstanding team. I believe 30-4 and four is the record. First in the WAC. They went 15-1. and one. Uh, they took the conference championship. Brandon, you had a stat somewhere. They haven't lost since, uh, gosh, when, early January. This is a really good team. Uh, a small college town out in New Mexico. I've actually driven through it before. Las Cruces, New Mexico. Beautiful little town. But a basketball school. A school that actually has been to the NCAA tournament many, many times. And they're going to present a, a pretty good challenge in one of these 5-12 games. But, but before we break down a little bit of what you know about the game, Brandon, uh, was Auburn deserving of a five or should they have been a four? I kind of lean toward them being a four. It almost feels like uh, the NCAA tournament committee. And obviously, you know, I know that I know the head of the NCAA tournament committee uh, very well. I, I, I grew up around him, uh, Bernard Muir down in Florida. Uh, but, but it seems like Auburn sort of got the short end here because it was almost like these last two wins over Tennessee didn't do too much. That's my take. And, and obviously I'm inside that Auburn bubble covering the Tigers. What's your take? Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, Jay Billis said it earlier in the day that he believed that the NCAA tournament committee, uh, the selection committee, had their picks pretty much in before the two big conference tournament championships on Sunday. And I think that proved to be true. I don't think they were going to move Auburn up to a four seed no matter what happened. I think they were going to be a five seed no matter what, win or lose uh, in this game against Tennessee, which is a shame. Now, they did say that listen, you know, Tennessee would have been a one seed if they had won the SEC championship. Now, that's great to say that and everything, but if you're going to move Tennessee up a spot all the way up to number one seed, knock Gonzaga 
out of that one seed spot. What was holding Auburn back from being a number four seed after winning an SEC tournament, beating four opponents, and beating Tennessee, who you're going to give that number one spot to, twice in eight days? I, I don't quite get that. I don't understand it. But Auburn's got the five seed. But the other thing I really don't understand in all of this is that they're shipping them off to Salt Lake City. They have a short turnaround. They're, not, they're playing on a Thursday morning in Utah, not afternoon. It was Thursday morning in Utah. And they are not playing on a Friday like you would expect them to be uh, in the first round. And they're playing a New Mexico State team that has won 19 straight games. Auburn and New Mexico State are the only teams in this entire tournament of the 68 teams that come into this tournament with an eight-game win streak or better. It's these two teams meeting up the first round. So Auburn has to face this New Mexico State team that is just on fire right now. And sure, they're not playing amazing opponents, but their records are record, and they are really, really good. And they've got the confidence, and confidence is everything in the NCAA tournament. And then if Auburn were to get past New Mexico State, they're probably going to have to play Kansas, which Kansas isn't playing as well as they were earlier in the season. But my goodness, Kansas is going to have fans, you know, all over that place in Salt Lake City. And by the way, speaking of fans, I wouldn't be surprised if there's more New Mexico State fans than Auburn fans in Salt Lake City just because it's so it's so much closer. It's it's uh, I think it's a terrible draw for Auburn. I think the selection committee did the, did Auburn a disservice. I don't understand it, um, and it just doesn't make much sense to me. They they may have scheduled some games that are going to be exciting for fans, but they did not reward Auburn for what they've done over these last two to three weeks at all. I, I think they did them a disservice more than anything. All right, uh, a few more minutes here with Brandon Marcello talking about Auburn basketball on this historic. Sunday, you'll be probably listening to this on Monday, but let's take a look at some of the New Mexico State games of note. Again, 30-4. and You've got a loss earlier in the season by 15 points to St. Mary's. Now, that's the same St. Mary's that just beat Gonzaga uh, in that tournament. Okay, so that's a quality loss. There also is a three-point loss at Kansas. Now, that's an eye-opener. Then you have a three-point loss to Drake, uh, and then finally a three-point, excuse me, a six-point loss to, are you ready for this? Yeah, I got California, it. Yeah. California Baptist, <laughs> which is in their conference, in the WAC, believe it or not. Now, remember, the old WAC used to be all these big-name schools, and they really, yeah, it's really New Mexico State and then a bunch of schools that most people on the East Coast aren't that familiar with. We're not going to knock those schools. Grand Canyon College, I believe that's in Phoenix, California Baptist, Cal State Bakersfield, Seattle. And years ago, Seattle had good teams. I want to say like 40 or 50 years ago. Um, I mean, uh, Missouri, Kansas city, Chicago state. When I was a kid, Chicago state, uh, I mean, you know, that, I mean, they're, they're three and 29 this year. So that, and when I was a kid, that was a, uh, I remember looking at them up at a media guide and seeing that they had lost to one of the worst teams in the sec by 60 points. So, you know, just a, a wild conference, but New Mexico state, again, it's a traditional basketball school, Brandon. They, they play in a 12,500 seat arena. Uh, they've been to the final four. The 1970 Final Four. And you know who got them to the Final Four? Guy named Lou Henson, who ended up coaching at Illinois for many years. Yeah. They've been to the Sweet 16 one, two, three, four, five times, the last in 1992. Elite Eight once. Now, Auburn's been to the Elite Eight one time. Auburn has never been to the Final Four. They've been once. Okay? NCAA tournament appearances, about 20 of them. So this is a traditional basketball school. Uh, 
Now, on the big stage, they haven't exactly set the world on fire in recent years. Again, the most recent Sweet 16 was 1992. Before that, 1970, uh, they had that three-year period where they went to three straight Sweet 16s. But again, a a school, you're right, they're going to have a lot of fans there. It is going to be a challenge for Auburn. There's no question about that. Uh, It's a team that uh, scores 78 points a game. Uh, but, you know, they're, they kind of spread the wealth a little bit, Brandon. They don't have a guy that scores uh, 20 points a game. They've got a bunch of guys that score uh, between 7 and 11 points a game. Uh, the leading scorer is a guard, Terrell Brown, 11 points a game. Three other players at 9.8 to 9.5. And, uh, you know, they're going to play about seven or eight, nine guys in that range. Uh, but nothing flashy, just a very good, solid team. Uh, what do you know about them? And if you don't know much, Brandon, that's fine. Yeah, I don't know much because I mean Sunday. I, we're recording this on a Sunday night, and I've literally just had time to cover the SEC tournament, NCAA stuff, get some video, and then hit the road to get back to Auburn for spring practice Monday. But here's what I know: you mentioned the depth. They play a lot of players, and I don't know if that's because one, they've just been beating the crud out of teams, and they've placed some backups in, or if that's something that they do a lot of with the rotation. I'm not quite sure yet. I'd have to go see if I could find any film on them or something like that or maybe read up on them a little bit more. But at the very least, they're very balanced, as you said. They don't have a guy that's out there scoring 30 points a game or 25 points a game. Everybody can score for them. And this game is going to be – I mean, it it should be. On paper, it should be a three-point fest. Both teams love to shoot the three ball, and it's going to be fun to watch. I think it's going to be a very enjoyable game to watch if you're just a casual fan. It might be a little bit of a heart racer – for Auburn fans, but here, here's the advantage. One, Auburn's more talented everywhere on the court. Number two, it all comes to the backcourt. Auburn is faster than these guys. Jared Harper, Bryce Brown, they're going to be able to drive by their men. They're going to be able to get other players open. And for that for that matter, Auburn should win this game. I believe they're an early nine-point favorite as we're talking here on a Sunday night. Um, and as I said, I haven't studied this team enough But this Auburn team, if it's rested enough and it feels good and its legs aren't worn out, it it could be, you know, a double-digit win for the Tigers. Now, here's the one concern, another concern I'd have if I was Auburn. You know, Salt Lake City is something like 4,000 feet above sea level, right? Auburn's about five to 700 feet, depending on where you are in Auburn on the plains. For a team that loves to press and run, how does that altitude affect them? with their conditioning and obviously with the breathing conditions and all that stuff. I don't know. All I know is I might have to wear an oxygen tank myself to get my fat ass up and down the hills. But these players are going to have to deal with that. And I wonder how they'll try to, you know, obviously try to adjust to that when they get there uh, in Salt Lake City. I believe they uh, uh, finally figured out that they're going to get there Tuesday, two days before their first round game and try to get used to those conditions and also start practicing. A couple more things here. You mentioned the altitude in Salt Lake City. Well, in Las Cruces, New Mexico, guess what? It's 3,900 feet. So, again, that is something that they're going to be uh, acclimated to. And you remember the the famous Final Four that was in Albuquerque, New Mexico, was won by NC State. And that was a game where guys had oxygen masks up in the face the whole game. Uh, They played that game at the pit in Albuquerque, NC State, uh, with one of the big shockers of the modern era of college basketball, beating Houston on a last second uh, air ball turned into alley-oop. Uh, I think it was, Levent- uh, gosh, I'm going to get the names wrong. Lorenzo Charles, maybe, I can't remember. Uh, but big win for NC State. But that altitude was an issue. Who knows whether it'll be an issue in this game. Let's be honest, guys are much more physically fit now than no. they've ever 
You know what I mean? Oh, oh yeah. yeah. I mean, these, these no... guys aren't, these guys aren't smoking cigarettes. And, yeah. Exactly. Uh, you know, they're, 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 you know, they're, they're on meal plans and everything. <laughs> and they're definitely not following the Charles Barkley diet plan of eating two large pizzas uh, when he's well, in his hotel room. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned the, the, the cigarettes. You know, I was watching Heaven Can Wait. The, I'm a diehard Rams fan, so I love that movie. Uh, and it's set in the late 70s, and the Rams get to the Super Bowl, and they go in at halftime, and and they reach into the cooler, and every single one of them grabs a Coca-Cola to drink at halftime of the game. Okay? <laughs> it's a different era. Now, back to New Mexico State, 78.1 points a game. They've got 10 guys that average 14 or more minutes a game, if this is correct. I'm looking right at ESPN.com. You can blame them if it's wrong. But 10 guys that play 14 or more minutes a game. And then they've got guys that play 10 minutes a game, 11 minutes a game, uh, you know, 12 minutes a game. Interesting team. They shoot 33.5% from three-point range. And they have attempted 952 three-pointers this season and have made 319 of them. And again, Terrell Brown, the leading scorer on the team, leads the way with 66. They've got two other guys, excuse me, three other guys, that have made 40 or more three-pointers, and then two after that that have made 24 or more. So you're right. It's a team that is going to shoot the ball deep. Uh, but maybe this is an, a key stat here, Brandon. 11.9 turnovers a game. What we've seen the last couple of games is an incredible amount of predominantly backcourt pressure, but really pressure everywhere, inside the paint, the length of the court, just trying to get passes inbounded. Uh, Auburn forcing 17 turnovers against Tennessee, which is remarkable. 19 the day before against a guard-oriented Florida team that, quite frankly, has one of the top emerging young point guards in the country. So uh, the amount of turnovers in those two games, plus New Mexico State turning it over roughly 12 times a game, could be something to watch. But we'll see. We're still digging into this. You, you You know more about New Mexico State than I do. Uh, but yeah, that's not saying much, Brandon, no offense, but we're, we're taking it to it just as the Auburn people are right now. But again, Auburn, the number five seed, I believe it's the Midwest bracket. Brandon, correct me if I'm wrong. We're both getting tired here. Uh, Auburn 26 and nine will play 30 and four New Mexico state 12, 20 PM Thursday in Salt Lake city. Brandon's going to be there. Mark Murphy's going to be there. Heck, Philip Marshall may be there. It's going to be, uh, just, a. I mean, you know, this is. This is what we've all been waiting for, but you know who would have thought this was possible? I, I just, I didn't see. You know, last year's team—they're going to get that that ring. They got that ring from the regular season. This team is going to get it from the tournament. But right now, these two teams, last year and this year, are sort of, we're sort of going in opposite directions. You know, one team, yeah. Macklemore was probably the, the that that injury really was like you said, just a just crushing blow after having already lost Wiley and Purifoy for the season. This team is getting Wiley back at the right time and he's contributing and now he's got a few more days to to get even more physically fit and this team seems to be peaking where the team in 2018 was not Brandon getting to the sweet 16 is going to be a challenge beyond that who knows anything's possible it's all about matchups I'm still going to say I'm going to roll with it and predict that we're going to be doing this again next week and and Auburn's going to be heading to the sweet 16 with a a big win over Kansas Uh, any gut feeling any any prediction early from you right now i man i i I really don't know other than to say this i think auburn's going to have the advantage in the backcourt against kansas and that and as i said that that's just everything i I, i've seen kansas play a little bit here of late auburn's got the better guards and i think they can win that game now you talk about the altitude yeah 
You also talk about the fan advantage that Kansas is going to have there. But then I think back to, to Sunday, and it's like, well, Tennessee had 20,000 fans there, and that didn't affect Auburn. Um, at this mo- at this point, if Auburn continues to play the way it played in the SEC tournament, they, they can get to the Sweet 16. I'd give them a better than 50% chance right now. I know, I, you know, if you look at, like, ESPN's BPI or whatever, they give them like a 20-something percent or 30-percent something chance. I think it's a little bit over 50 you know, if you wanted to, to ask me, um, I'll stick with my prediction of them getting the Sweet 16 and really continuing this magical running and then stretching their win total, uh, this win streak to uh, to 10 games, which would be absolutely incredible, considering, as we said, where, where they were at just a few weeks ago. But um, as I said, t- this is a really tough draw. I think the selection committee really screwed them uh, a little bit. I, I, I just don't see why they put Auburn in this position, but. I'm sure there's a lot of other, you know, people out there saying the same thing about other teams. You know, I haven't had a good, strong look at the bracket myself, but when I saw that come up on the screen, um, I was like, wow, that's a horrible draw for Auburn. And the Auburn, the Auburn folks uh, at the watch party were, were not very happy about it. And uh, it'll be interesting to see how they use that maybe as motivation. I'm sure Bruce Pearl could find something in it like, hey, you won the SEC championship. You won the SEC tournament title, excuse me. And they, they, they didn't respect you enough to even let you play close to home. And then now they're going to make you play a Kansas team where there's going to be Kansas fans everywhere. If you get by this New Mexico State team, by the way, that's 30 wins. I think it's going to be another us against the world type mentality for Auburn and Salt Lake City. Now the bad news is the draw is murder. The good news is if you, you beat Kansas, and I, I guess North Carolina would be after that, you win those games, and then all of a sudden, gosh, it, everything is possible. So there is the good news, bad news to that scenario. It's going to be a tricky one, a tough one, no doubt, for the Auburn Tigers. Again, follow all the coverage from Brandon Marcello, Mark Murphy, Philip Marshall, Jason Caldwell, and myself at AuburnUndercover.com. Also, don't forget the start of spring football at Auburn. What a week. is going to be Monday afternoon, so there's going to be a lot coming with that as well. Stay tuned for more this week. The team is headed out to Salt Lake City, and so was the Auburn undercover and inside the Auburn Tigers team. Thanks for stopping by, everybody. We'll do it again soon. No one has it covered like 24-7 sports. Go undercover with Auburn Undercover. Auburn Undercover.